old song, right? I love the line in that song that says, and then I shall bow, what, in humble adoration? You know, <clears throat> so much of what we try to do, hopefully the older we get, is to try to do things that we think matter to God. You know, when you're young, you're kind of living life and you're worried about a lot of things and you're not as worried maybe as you should be about things that matter a whole lot more than, say, money or entertainment or those kinds of things. But the older you get, the more you seek to find things that really matter to God. And, you know, the Bible's full of different explanations in there that tell us about things that matter to God. One of them you've heard me say before is from James where it talks about what real, pure, true religion is which is where we're helping widows and who and orphans. And so before we get started with today's sermon, um, I want Mr. Todd to come up and tell us a little bit about a ministry that we've already helped some, but that we're going to be doing a little bit more with. So Todd, tell us a little bit about what happened this week and get us all up to speed. Well, on Friday, I had the good opportunity to go over and visit the fostering care community over in Alexandria. And, you know, we did a, a diaper drive and a pajama drive. And first, they could not be more thankful for what we were able to do. This little church delivered great things. God multiplied everything we did. And they were just so touched by it. And I got to visit their facility, which is a great facility. But when you're talking about fostering kids and the things, of course, you're going to hear some of the bad things that happen, how the kids end up in foster care. And they need a lot of help. They need our help, which, you know, I was glad to be able to lean forward and said Pineville Christian Church is going to help because I know almost all of you, or if you're here, I know your heart's with Jesus. So we're going to be looking at opportunities coming up to help. They have a teen night once a month. We're going to buy pizza and drinks for that teen night. But there's much more than that. They, the kids, some need mentors. They need life skills that maybe we can go and help teach course they need funds and then the last thing that we're going to do I've already talked with Dustin because Dustin Puckett because he's done this before sometimes just sadly I had to hear stories about kids going hungry I told them kids aren't going hungry let us know what we need to do and we'll make sure that kids don't go hungry so they're gonna you know they've already hit me up with the email and say I hope you're not overwhelmed I said well I, you know I'm going to reply back to our head yet because I'm getting my thoughts together. We're not going to be overwhelmed because Jesus is with us and we'll do whatever we can do to help that community. So I want you to be praying on it. They need volunteers. They need financial assistance. They need a lot of things. But just imagine, you know, look what we did with that diaper drive in that small little group, how God will multiply whatever this little church can do because while we're a little church, he is big. So I appreciate it. I want you to please pray on it. If you think, you know, it's something that interests you to volunteer some time or things like that, let me know. There's already something coming up this Tuesday and Wednesday at their place. It's during the day. I'm going to go volunteer and help them where they move stuff in and out of their building. So while I'm getting it ready, don't wait on me. If you feel like you want to get involved, come see me today, and I'll let you know how you can immediately. But I appreciate all of you. I wanted to let you know how touched I was to see their appreciation most importantly, you know, I kept putting God out there. This isn't what we do. This is what God does through us. So thank you. Absolutely. There may be people watching online who say, hey, I've been kind of motivated. The Spirit's been speaking to me about how I might be able to help those 
who, uh, who are trying to help the, those in the foster care system. This will be a good opportunity to do that. And just another opportunity for us to minister. I appreciate you sharing that, Todd. You're going to be hearing more about that. You know, it's, it's amazing that we live in a world that is so plentiful, right? I mean, most of us have so much, and yet there are people who don't have anything. And oftentimes it's because really people don't know. They don't know how to help. I'm, I mean, you know, I don't think when you hear somebody say kids are going hungry, you're like, wow, how, how could that be? Well, just because the connections aren't made right. So this is a part of that. We're not going to solve all the problems, but maybe we can help. You know, I'm reminded of that story of the guy, the little kid walking down the beach, uh, picking up the starfish. You heard that story? Got little kids walking down the beach, and he's picking up starfish, and he's throwing them in the water, and a guy comes up to him, and he says, well, what are you doing, young man? He says, well, I'm just trying to save these starfish. And the old guy looked at the little kid, and he said, well, don't waste your time doing that, man. Look down this beach. You see all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of starfish. What you're doing doesn't matter. Little boy looked up, picked up the next one, threw it in the water, and told the old man, he said, it mattered to that one. And it's always stuck with me. You can do something. You don't have to try to do everything. You can just do something. And so for every one of these foster kids or even these volunteers that are discouraged or some of these workers in some of these programs, maybe all it's meant to be is for you to be there just to give them an encouraging word. Say, hey, what you're doing matters. We support you. Look, it's about doing something for God. That's a big part of what um, being a Christian is. God did big things for us, right? The biggest thing. And so we're trying to figure out, hey, how can we do things for him? And that's just a little side note, so you wondered. That wasn't the sermon for today. I got my notes right here in case you were, you know, worried that it was going to be that short. Boys and girls, it's, I'm glad to have you in here today. The first Sunday, Miss Jasmine's passing out if you need some things to, to draw with, um, some color on, some activities for you. It's so important that we don't just think the boys and girls believe that, hey, if you just go down there, your church is down there. Nope. You need to be in here with us some as we're... Um, teaching and learning, and I know you may not understand everything, but hopefully we'll have some things that you do understand. We're looking in a series from the book of Acts. We started last week with Saul's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Many of you remember the story of Saul, who was also called Paul. Well, he was a major figure in the New Testament, so we're going to take two weeks to look at this encounter that he has because he has this major shift. And if you want to catch the first part of kind of what's going on, some background with him, you can go check that out um, from, from last week. But we're going to be looking at his encounter with Jesus today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to jump and hit 17 through 19. We'll come back next week and look at the person that we're skipping there, so don't feel like, hey, yo, I missed a few verses. We're gonna, I'm going to let you get out on that, okay? So we're going to jump right in here to Saul's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. You remember the church is growing. It's emerging. Saul has not been one of the positive players. He's been on the wrong team up until this point. He's been persecuting Christians, very, um, very diligent in that. And so he's on a mission from, from Jerusalem, and his mission is to go and round up these Christians who are in Damascus, get rid of them, persecute them, bring them back to Jerusalem, and all sorts of things. And so he's approaching Damascus on this particular mission. In verse 3, When a light from heaven suddenly shone, around, shone down around him, he falls to the ground and hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul is on his way to really persecute and round up these Christians. And while he's there, this bright light from heaven, 
a very unusual light that doesn't have a very good description comes from heaven and it shines down around him. I think to myself, what could this light possibly have been? Some of you who may remember some of the Bible stories from the past. You know what it probably was, what we're going to see, we know that it's Jesus. And so it's very likely that this light, we see, we hear about it in other places. Look in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can make a note of this if you want to look on the screen. You remember the story of the transfiguration of Jesus? This is when Jesus was on the earth and he goes up on the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John. And it, what happens there is as they're watching, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as, and white as light. So in that moment, that's this, this otherworldly, different kind of light that Jesus has behind him. All right, In that transfiguration, it was there and very likely the same manifestation that Paul sees whenever he is on the Damascus road. And of course, this is seen also in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, whenever the Bible's talking about what it's going to be like in heaven, okay? It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and what the Lamb is its light. And we know that the Lamb is who? The Lamb is Jesus Christ. So Jesus really is the whole source of light, which is part of why he said when he was here, I am what? The light of the world. All right. But in this moment, Saul gets to see and is overwhelmed by this bright, bright light, which is the risen Christ. All right. And so this light shines around him. And what happens to him? He falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is a very unusual situation, okay? He's going on a mission. What he feels is for God. We know it's not of God, but he feels like it's for God. He goes along there. This bright light comes. It basically, we find out later, it blinds him. But he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His response is what? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. Now I want to make just a real quick point here that's very interesting. Notice that when the light comes to him, we know is Jesus, and this voice comes from heaven, which we find out is Jesus, because it says what? I am Jesus. Notice what the voice says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, first question I ask there is, well, I mean, Jesus, well, he's not persecuting Jesus, is he really? Who's he persecuting? He's persecuting Christians. Wait a minute. This, this is something we need to think about here. And then he says what? Saul, in ignorance, says, who are you, Lord? The voice says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting again. Now, this makes us realize how serious Jesus takes those who are believers. And so we have to understand, if Saul is out there doing this to Christians, the risen Christ took it personal. He didn't, think, hey, you, hey, he didn't say, hey, stop doing that to all these people. He says what? He says, stop doing this to me. Because to Jesus, you and I as believers are personal. I mean, it's almost like we're a part. It's almost like what the Bible says, we're what? We're part of his body. Look, let me read to you some passages from 1 Corinthians where later on Paul tells us how important you and I as believers, as Christians are, how connected we are to God. These are just some excerpts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. 
if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You realize that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized into his family, you're a part of Christ's body, the church. And it's not just a building. It's what? Remember? It's not the building or the steeple. And when you do the thing like the little kids, it's all the people. All right? And Jesus is the head of Christ. Christ is the head, I'm sorry, of the church. So whenever Saul hears the voice from heaven, Jesus says, look, you're persecuting me when you do this to all these people that you're doing. You know, makes you realize sometimes we need to be careful when we talk bad about other Christians. Maybe when we get frustrated in disagreement or we don't understand their motivation. They're a part of the body. We've often talked about this. You know, Bob's been going through and talking about unity. You know, just because we don't see everything the same way doesn't give us a license to badmouth our brothers and sisters. Jesus loves them. He's part of their body. They are part of his body. We're all interconnected. What would happen in the world if we all really embraced the fact that we're interconnected and quit focused on all the differences and all the negative things and just championed what we could all agree on, just like we do in any other family? But Saul, in this moment, he's almost like a wake-up call here. Wait a minute, I'm, I, what am I doing here? And so what happens? He gets further word. He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And then he says what? Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Pretty clear instructions, all right? Walking down the road, bright light, falls to the ground, hears a voice, says, why are you doing this to me? You're persecuting me. Now get up, go into the city. Then we get a little side note here. We see that the men who were with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone, all right? Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opens his eyes, he couldn't see. So the light obviously blind, he blinded him. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there for three days and did not eat or drink. All right, so this is a very unique experience and one that's going to be alluded to. It's described in two other places, Acts chapter 22 and chapter 26. Saul, who's now called Paul at that particular point in Acts, he, he tells the story, so if you want to go back and get some little kind of tidbits of information, you can from there. So he, he's blinded. He hears the voice of God says, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? You're on the wrong track. He's blinded. He's told to go into the town, and he goes there, and he goes for, um, <clears throat> for three days. Three days he doesn't eat or drink. Now we're going to jump down to 17. There's a, we're introduced in the next few verses to Ananias, but we're going to talk about him next week. But Ananias, who's a believer there, he finds Saul, and he goes. Saul's been in Damascus for three days. We know also that he's been praying. He's, he doesn't fully understand what's going on. Imagine, he's been, he's been living a certain way. Everything's going one direction. All of a sudden, it's completely changed. He's blind. He's there. He doesn't know what's going on. Ananias comes to him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and he regained his strength. 
So basically, he's there, he's blind, he don't know what's going on. We know if you get in between those verses, he's praying to God, trying to figure it out. God sends Ananias, Ananias comes, and Ananias prays for him, lays hands on him. The scales fall from his eyes, he gets baptized, and then he gets, starts to regain his strength, okay? Now, I want to make just a couple of points here before we jump into this, but um, notice that already in the book of Acts, we've got several already at four or five different types of um, ways that people encounter Jesus, okay? And they're all different. Now, I said this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but it really bears repeating because our tendency is that whatever our tradition is, okay, we tend to try to make everybody say that if they don't encounter Jesus in the exact same way that we did or that we're, we're teaching at our particular church, then, then other people's encounter with Jesus isn't valid. That's, that's no good because throughout the New Testament, there are various ways that people encounter Jesus. You'll notice here that Paul didn't necessarily speak in tongues here, okay? You'll notice that Paul didn't necessarily have a dramatic moment conversion like, hey, he Jesus encountered the risen Christ and he got baptized right away. No what? He was there for three days thinking about it, contemplating it, trying to figure it out. Someone came and helped him. And look, there's just a wide variety of ways in which people encounter Jesus. And the point is that they encounter him and that their response is appropriate, not necessarily in how it happens. We're not trying to be the, the, the religious leaders who are ruling over everyone to validate or invalidate their encounter with Jesus. And I see people falling uh, victim to that, and I don't want us to do that because the scriptures don't really give us a definitive, hey, this is how it works, a cookie-cutter program, okay? Now, in the encounters with Jesus, however, and specifically in this one because this is the one we're looking at today, there are about seven things that I want us to look at that I believe are universal and very important to think about when it comes to an encounter with Jesus. The first one is this. You know, Jesus' encounters aren't determined by your past, okay? See, Paul, Saul, is what? He's not on the right team. He's actually doing a lot of really bad things. He was there when Stephen was stoned. I mean, he watched it. He agreed with it. He's doing all sorts of terrible things. So his past is not really conducive to being for Jesus, but his past doesn't determine what's going to happen in the future. And that's the same thing with you and I. You see, your past doesn't determine whether you encounter Jesus or not. Your past is, is just like anything else. It's just weaving through. It's a series of your choices and the reactions that you have and other people have to those choices. But ultimately, when you encounter Jesus, he may use some things from your past, but it should not determine that particular encounter. A lot of people can encounter Jesus because they're bound up by their past. Something that happened to them, something that happened to other people. I meet people all the time who, who say, well, I, I don't believe that religion. I knew somebody that was such a hypocrite. Man, absolutely. Look, you, you want to know who's a hypocrite? Go look in the mirror. Everybody's a hypocrite because every single one of us is unable to fully live out the things that we say. But our tendency is what? We like to hold other people to a much higher standard than we want to hold ourselves. Now, and there are people who are just, they're not they're bad apples. I mean, not everybody's motivated for the right thing, to do the right things. But that doesn't 
because you encountered someone like that in your past. That's going to keep you from encountering Jesus today. Man, that's, that's not a good plan. Your encounters with Jesus aren't determined by your past or the pasts of other people. Number two, Jesus encounters very often shine light into darkness. Now, in this particular situation, it literally was a bright light, okay? It was the bright light of the radiance of God's glory through the risen Christ, okay? But, but metaphorically, Jesus, when he encounters the darkness, he does what? He shines light on it. Those things that are hidden are now come to light. And so Jesus' encounters bring light into darkness. You know, some people have a lot of things that are dark in their life. Rooms that are closed off, places that nobody, they don't want anybody to go. Look, when you encounter Jesus, he's going to begin to bring some light into those areas and into those places. Number three, Jesus' encounters always call us to greater obedience to God. Notice whenever Paul, Saul here, encounters Jesus, what does he tell him to do? He gives him some instructions. He says, now you must do what? Go over there. And look, when, when you encounter Jesus, it's going to call you and call me to greater obedience to God. Because when we obey God, this is how we're showing God that we love Him. You know, we've talked about this over and over, and the Scriptures tell us what? How do, how do we show God that we love Him? By obeying Him. Now, we tend to what? We tend to think of that in kind of the negative. Well, just, you know, I don't want God, I don't want nobody telling me what to do. Well, listen, it's not about that. Just like you as a parent, when you give your children instructions, not when you're mad, or in a bad moment, but when you're, when you're right, okay, when you're doing the right thing and you're thinking the right way, when you give your children instructions, what is it for? It's for their good, so that, so that something can go well, you know that it's going to be better for them maybe later. Well, listen, God is never having a bad day. He's never a bad parent. He's the one who loves us at all times, and so his instructions for us are what? For our good. And when we obey him, we're saying what? We're saying that, look, we trust you, we love you, we're going to follow through on the things that you've got asked us to do. And when we encounter Jesus, it leads us to greater obedience. If people tell you, oh, I encountered Jesus, or I went, to, I went to church and I had this experience, but you don't see anything that's happening and they're not obeying God more, you know, at the very least, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't as a powerful encounter as they thought. Number four, Jesus' encounters are often missed or misunderstood by others. Look, in this particular encounter with Jesus and Saul, the people who were with him, they didn't even know what had happened. They didn't know, they knew something happened, but they didn't know exactly what happened. They couldn't explain why he couldn't see exactly, or they didn't know all that. They weren't necessarily blinded by it. They kind of missed it or misunderstood, and I think that happens a lot today. People around you may miss the encounter with Jesus. Maybe it's not necessarily for them what's happened, this particular event. And certainly people misunderstand it, right? People in your life, whenever you want to make a decision to do something for God, you want to change something, you want to better your relationship with God, you want to move in a different direction or whatever, people oftentimes misunderstand that. They, won't, they don't see it the same way. They may say, oh, well, you're just a fanatic. Or you're just taking that a little too serious. You're just being too, you know, it's not that big a deal. Well, guess what? Sometimes you only know how big a deal it is, and you can't allow your encounter with Jesus to be influenced by whether or not someone else gets it or whether someone else misunderstands it. That's not on you. That's on them. Number five, 
oftentimes Jesus encounters take time to process and develop. Now, I don't know that this is always the case, but I wanted to say this because you see here with Saul, he has this blinding light Damascus Road experience. But it takes him three days of blindness and not eating to try to figure out what has really happened. You know, that happens a lot in, in, in encounters with Jesus. He, he speaks to you through his Holy Spirit. Maybe you're convicted of something. Maybe an event happens in your life. Maybe someone else speaks to you, and, and you, you don't completely understand it. It's okay. Don't feel like you have to understand it in that moment. See, one of the, the downfalls is that we want everything to happen right away. We want every, everybody to answer right away. We want them to do something right now. Well, sometimes you don't need to do that. Sometimes you need to pause. You need to reflect about what's happened. Maybe you need to replay the events in your mind. Can you imagine Saul did that? Saul's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I, I, I've been all this time, I've been trying to do what I thought God wanted me to do. Man, I, and look, you can't be any more serious than I was. I mean, I was willing to, to sacrifice my time, my money. I was willing to do whatever, but, but I was wrong. Well, you know, but, but then I, did I really, and you can imagine, he probably asked questions. Did I really hear a voice? Was it real? Now I can't see. And look, so he takes the time to process and allow this encounter to develop, and that leads him to a place of where he gets baptized and he becomes a believer. You see, oftentimes we, we try to short-circuit that process on people. You know, when people have lived an entire life a certain way and their thought processes are a certain way and they come into an encounter with Jesus that says, hey, you need to think differently about this. You need to think in a new way. Look, it may take them a little time to process and develop whether or not and how this is going to play itself out in their life. And we need to give that to them. And we need to take that time ourselves. But what it's easy to do is when we encounter Jesus and there's something that needs to process in our heart, maybe in our mind, we get really good at what? I don't, I can't, I don't want to think about that. And we just move back on to the normal day of our life and what's going on. And we don't take the time to do that. Number six, Jesus encounters often involve God's people, which is the church, right? It's not like it didn't happen in an in a, in a isolation bubble. You know, Saul has this moment where the light blinds him, the resurrected Christ, okay? And he hears the voice. This is all a very supernatural kind of deal. But then what happens? Ananias, which we're going to talk about next week, he's a part of the process. And as he gets to be a part of that process, he's the one who comes and lays hands on Saul. And he baptizes Saul. And so, look... When you encounter Jesus, there are going to be other people involved in that. Now, it might, the catalyst might be something just between you and God, but, but, then, but then God's church is going to be involved in that. That's why when you encounter Christ for the first time, maybe in, in your Damascus Road experience when you realize you're a sinner, you know, the next step is to what? It's to, to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to, to, to repent of those sins. And then you do what? You get baptized so that you can be a part of his church, his family, his body. Because God's working through people. His encounters are about relationships, not only with you, but with other people. And number seven, finally, Jesus encounters realign or I say reinforce in this specific situation it realigns them but there are instances where our encounters with Jesus reinforce what our mission our vision and our direction 
See, Saul had a mission. What was his mission? To go persecute, stamp out Christianity. He encounters Jesus, and his whole mission is now going to be realigned, and most of the rest of the book of Acts and quite a bit of the New Testament is going to be defining and describing his new realigned mission. I mean, his vision was taken from him, but he gets it back. He gets a new vision, and ultimately he gets a whole new direction in his life. Well, I would suggest today that if you truly encounter Jesus, and it's real, you're going to have an, a realignment of your mission, your vision, and your direction. Because here's the deal. At least in the first encounter, the Bible says we're all sinners. Your mission and your vision and your direction is for you, whatever that may be. Some people are better than others. Some people had better home training. Some people had better backgrounds. And so ultimately, maybe it didn't look as bad, but still, it's their own way. When you encounter Jesus baptized into his family, you get a realignment of your mission, vision, and direction. Now, instead of my way, I'm going to try to walk God's way. I'm gonna, instead, of, instead of doing everything for me, I'm going to start trying to do things for others and for God. Now, we talked about this before. It's not a once for all. I mean, don't we wish it was, right? Don't you wish that you confessed your sins, that you repented of those sins, you got baptized, and when you got out of that water, man, you thought, only good thoughts or that you only had good habits or that you only had good feelings to other people or that you only did the right thing and that when you knew something was wrong you quit doing it man it just don't work like that does it no sir when you get out of that water and you have had this realignment of vision and mission and direction you you're steadily battling that and so it takes recurring encounters with jesus to do what to kind of keep you aligned or, and that's why I say reinforce. You know, sometimes you're doing the right things. You're going in the right direction. I mean, God's working. And so then he will give you an encounter that will reinforce that. You know, I think about that. You know, we've talked for quite a while, Todd and I, about how important it is for us to really help with the foster care community. And so we ended up with that opportunity to, do, to give, and that was a success. And then, then Todd gets to go over there and meet them at the facility, and he has a great thing. And I would say that encounter reinforced, wouldn't you, Todd, our commitment that, hey, we're doing the right thing. And sometimes we have encounters with Jesus like that. Hey, that, that we're re our vision and our mission and our direction is reinforced. Now, got to throw the negative in here. If everything you're doing and you don't ever encounter those reinforcing things, you may not be going in the right direction. You might need to pause and say, whoa, whoa, do I need to kind of realign some of those things? You know, when you think about Jesus encounters, we take this experience today. We look at what happened to this Christian who was very instrumental, saw who later becomes Paul, and we think about how we learn from his encounter with Christ and how that might apply to us. And we ask ourselves a question I really want you to ask yourself today. Do I need to encounter Jesus today? Think about that. Ask yourself, do I need to encounter Jesus today? Now, if you've never encountered Jesus in the first time, maybe you're watching this online, and you've thought about Christianity or you've thought about Jesus, but when you think about your life, you've never really realigned 
your mission and your direction and your vision. You're still doing it your way 100%, and you've never said, God, I need you to forgive me of my sins, and I need to change my direction. Look, you know that verse I quoted from Revelations chapter 21? I want to read you the other part of it because you need to hear that. If you've never done that, you need to hear this verse. All right, this is of critical importance. It says, and in that city, remember I read, has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. But that's not where it stopped. Listen to what it says. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed, and at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Man, it's going to be a great place. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see, we, we come to church, and it's very important that we try to be better. It's very important that we try to do good things for the community, that we fellowship. But listen, we don't ever need to forget that when all this is said and done, according to the Bible, there are going to be those who are in and those who are going to be out. And they're not going to be out because they're bad people. They're not going to be out because of anything that you or I did or didn't do. They're going to be out because they made a choice to say, I can make it on my own. Because see, the only way to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life is to confess your sins and declare your need for Jesus Christ. And after you do that, you're going to repent of those sins. You're going to say, Jesus, I need you to help me. And you get baptized, and you become a part of his family. And guess what? The Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've never done that, wow. If you're watching this online and you've never done that, don't hesitate, don't delay. Make today the day that you encounter Jesus for the first time. Of course, I say this often, and it's true. We're at a Christian church. Most people have had that initial encounter at some point in their life, in different ways, in different times. And so, so, so we ask ourselves, those who have already had that first-time encounter, is do I need to encounter Jesus today? And I would say absolutely I need to encounter Jesus today because there are certain things I said, did, thought, didn't do last week that, that really weren't living up to the initial commitment I made. And I don't want to continue on in that. Matter of fact, when I think about this story of Saul that's recorded there, I can't help but think of the old country western gospel song. Many of you have heard it. We used to sing it in here quite, quite a bit. That Hank Williams song, I Saw the Light. You know, we saw that song, and it's real upbeat, and I love it. But I don't know how many of you know the story of that song. Hank Williams wrote that song in 1947. And the inspiration behind that song came, he was on, a, on his trip back from <clears throat> Fort Deposit, Alabama, on his way back to Montgomery, Alabama. And he and his bandmates were in the back of the bus, and they were all drunk. And they were hung over. And his mother was driving the bus or the van. And his mother 
said to him, Hank, I, I just saw the lights, which was the airport in Montgomery, Alabama. He said, I just saw the lights. We're almost home. And in some way, when his mother said to him, I just saw the light, God spoke to Hank Williams. And in his biography by Colin Escott, he writes, I saw the light was the prayer of a backslider trying to live in the hope of redemption. You see, Hank Williams was a believer in Jesus, but he had been a backslider. He had allowed booze and women and fame and all those things to get him off track. And in that moment when his mom said that, the Spirit spoke to him and he wrote this song. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed for my own. Then like the blind man that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I was a fool to wander and stray, for straight is the gate and narrows the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. In the chorus, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. And I think about Hank Williams, a person who clearly had had some encounter with Jesus. But we also know he had a lot of failures. And ultimately, those encounters did not lead him to the kind of life that was demonstrated in a song like this. And you know what it points to? The absolute reality. In this life, just because we have an encounter with Jesus... Just because we come to church, just because we write a great inspired song, just because our mother is a person of strong faith, you know what? It doesn't guarantee that we're going to remain faithful to the end and that we're going to fulfill and be all that God wants us to be. You know what's only going to guarantee that? Is a constant encounter. Whenever we have moments that we see the light. Maybe whenever we come to church and we sense God saying, you know, it's time to give up that. It's time to start doing this. It's time to make a change. And then we act on it. And guess what? Then we build on that the next time. This is how not only we see the light, but we constantly live in it and become the person that God wants us to be. Of course, the great news is that regardless of our failures, regardless of our mistakes. Our salvation is secure in what? What Jesus Christ did for us. You know, as we come together, I think Bob's going to be sharing in our communion today a little bit about why we do this. And it's so important that we know the reasons and the significance of the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus Christ. I hope you will encounter him today in a real way. Wherever he is to meet you, let's pray.
Father, thank you for our brother Saul and his dramatic conversion and all that he did for us. I pray, God, that you would help us to have a sincere, genuine encounter with you as well. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask in Jesus' name.